Welcome in to the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, once again, joined by a very special guest this time. It's one of our favorites, Dallas Amico of the Strickland, and we are talking Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, not the usual things you might think of with Donovan Mitchell lately. We're not talking trade packages. In fact, we went a whole multi-part episode without talking trade packages at all. We're talking about basketball fit, how Mitchell might be able to fit with the Knicks once he gets here. Uh, what a potential core of him, even including Julius Randle, might look like, and also what it might look like without, and his fit offensively, defensively, and everything in between. A lot of great discussion from a very smart basketball person coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up, up. Now fires it. And he's good. And he's fouled. And he's fouled. Anthony for three. You are locked on Knicks, and today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts, and you can start listening to us on all platforms. Because we're everywhere. Uh, your podcasts, and if you want to, you want to see us. I'm sure there are some people who have been listening for years who have still never never had quite the guts to go over to YouTube and be like, ah, if I see their faces, it'll, it'll ruin it. I have, I have this image in my head. It's not going to match. Well, you got you got to do it at some point. We are on YouTube. And even, and even if you don't watch, throw us a subscription because it's a big help to us. Comment, rate, like, review, all that good stuff. But who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster, getting into it uh, with the start of high school football season. He is the fantastic Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the best damn Knicks website out there. You can check them out on social media at the strict.land. And we are going to get into a very interesting conversation with Dallas Amico right now on Locked on Knicks. All right, guys, as promised, we are joined by the fantastic Dallas Amico, a contributor at the Strickland, a Hall of Fame Locked on Knicks guest for me. Super fun every single time you come on, Dallas. And uh, man, it's been a while. Uh, last time we talked to you was a uh, pre it was like pre 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 the donovan mitchell era right after the season but now uh that trade potentially on the horizon potentially never going to happen potentially could be a few months who's to say but uh as one of the the great basketball minds we have on this podcast i wanted to get your thoughts on donovan mitchell the player um i saw uh, initially when these talks were happening you put out a whole thread on mitchell and uh your rationale for um like a part of it was sort of a case for him. Part of it was a case against him. But who do you think he is as a player? Because I saw in those tweets you you, you wrote um, could be the best scorer on a championship team, which is obviously a very high bar. Uh, yeah, um, I think that's right that he could be the best player on a chip or excuse me, best scorer on a championship team. No, best player is a lot. Uh, that's a finer line. Um, you know, that's tougher to uh tougher to make true um but yeah no his scoring especially uh is i mean it's just incredibly incredibly elite if you could if you go back and watch um the series that they played against the clippers um uh that series is probably to me the most impressive one especially early on in the series first couple of games that donovan mitchell had 
Um, I think he struggled a little bit in the first half of game one. And then after that, he had a stretch of play, which was just like insane getting guarded by like, you know, that's not a, that's not a, a weak defensive team. You have Paul George, Kawhi Leonard worth Mar- noting on a, on a hurt ankle too. Marcus Morris. Yeah. And he just was slicing through them. No problem at all. There were times where he made like Kawhi look just absolutely silly as a defender, which is <laughs> not an easy thing to do. Um, and primarily he was doing it as a scorer. And I think that's, it is an important thing to note when you think about Donovan Mitchell, the player, he's an absolutely crazy scorer. It's once you get to everything else that you start asking questions and, um, even passing, um, uh, he has wild tools as a passer, like, um, just raw tools. One of maybe one of the best passers in the league, um, because he can, you know, as a, as a guy at his um size making passes are is really difficult over the defense around the defense this sort of thing so you sometimes see him make these passes with like difficulty levels of like you know 12 on a 1 to 10 scale where you're like how the hell did he wrap that around or find that guy and and it's often on a line um maybe not always the most accurate passes but he gets them there um uh but the problem is um his sliders are set to shoot like 90 percent and pass 10 percent of the time so he has this passing skill but his vision and his decision making is pretty poor i think as like a primary passer to me um so i really don't think at least at this point uh maybe that could change in the future but uh at this point like i'm not comfortable with him being like the engine of the offense and if you look at the way the Sorry, I'm just like going on and on. But if you look at the way the the Jazz ran their offense with him, usually for the first like the first half and maybe even some of the third quarter, um, they really didn't use him as like a primary initiator. He was pretty much like a souped up hyper play finisher, right? So they'd run their offense. Snyder has a lot of creative sets. Um, I hate him as a defensive coach, but he's actually a very good offensive coach, I think. Um, cool sets, gets a lot of people involved, tons of uh, pick and roll actions from a lot of diff with a lot of different looks and from a lot of different angles and a lot of different guys. And they have a bunch of guys who are really good ball handlers and awesome, awesome shooters and solid decision makers. And so that allows them to, you know, in quarters one through three, you can get away with guys like Joe Ingles doing a lot of initiating or Mike Conley doing a lot of initiating, Jordan Clarkson doing a lot of initiating. Um, even Bogdanovich doing a little bit. So they would take turns, right, and do all this sort of stuff. And then at the end of the shot clocks, you know, get the ball to Donovan Mitchell if nothing has worked out and he'd find some way of scoring. Um, and it wasn't really until like later in the game when defenses turn up the intensity um, or in the playoffs when defenses turn up the intensity, especially in the second half, um, that they start relying more on Donovan Mitchell. And then you see the offense starts to change how it looks. It's a little bit less movement focused, a little bit a lot less passing happens, a little bit more ISO play, that sort of thing. But that's what Donovan Mitchell excels at, right? Is that elite sort of play finisher, elite score kind of guy. And he can do that. But I'm not going to trust at this point. I haven't seen enough to like trust him running an offense. There's some things to start on the offensive side of the ball, I guess. All right, guys, we'll be back in just a second to new to talk about Donovan Mitchell and how the context differences between the Jazz and the Knicks shape, how effective he'll be on both ends of the floor. But first, 
If you want to bet on something a little more tangible, there's a place that has you covered. It's betonline.net. They're the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. You can find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. You can find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts. They have you covered and they have you covered Alex on the latest Kevin Durant odds. I found this interesting. You can bet if he'll be traded between September 1st and the start of the regular season on or before August 31st on or after January 1st, but before the trade deadline or after the 2022 regular season. I, I kind of like that between September 1st and the start of the season. It feels more and more sure that something is going to break at some point. So head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. So what do you guys think about that? How's that sound? Plausible? Well, yeah, I mean, I was actually just going to sort of expand on that a little bit before we get more to the weaknesses right like the passing which you get like you said maybe not a weakness but how much how he utilizes it is sometimes a weakness uh despite having the the ability for sure and the defense i think we'll have to get to at a certain point also of course because that is half of the game uh but i wanted to more talk first about like what you just said about his role and I, i you said this before like you know, in our Strickland discord and stuff, you know, during discussions that like Mitchell, despite having the really high usage percentage and stuff is not actually the guy that like is starting with the ball in his hands, like all the time. A lot of times he's kind of just the guy that they foist the ball on at some point or another and say, okay, finish it, (laughs) you know? So I'm kind of curious how you, how you feel like he would fit in with this Knicks team, because to your point, he is, I, you know, I think I agree with you. I think that if you're just talking scores he could be the best scorer on a potential championship team i mean you look at his numbers like there's just so much to like um you know he has pretty much elite shooting from like everywhere on the floor um at the rim he shoots 70 percent. these are all just courtesy of basketball <laughs> reference shoots 70 percent at the rim uh shoots about 50 percent from three feet to 16 feet so like that sweet spot mid-range long mid-range even he shoots 41 percent and just uniformly across the board whether he's pulling up or whether he's catch and shooting he's shooting about 35 percent from three and that was just this past year when i think that he had i don't know if i'd say more so than other years but just like every year with the jazz he had a really outsized role and, and like burden of being the engine of their offense if he's coming to the knicks i think it's entirely likely that julius randall won't be here at that time so I don't know how much we need to factor Randall into this discussion, but just for kicks, let's say that Randall does end up staying on the team, right? And you have Randall, you have RJ Barrett, and you have Jalen Brunson, who you just brought on, who presumably is going to you know, get a bigger, or at least was signed with the thought of potentially getting a bigger piece of the pie than he was getting with Luka Doncic. How do you see Mitchell's role evolving with the Knicks then? Do you see him still playing that role then where maybe he's not initiating all that often because you do have a Jalen Brunson, who is, you know, by position, a point guard. You do have an RJ Barrett who can initiate, you know, the offense a good amount himself. You have a Julius Randle who, for better or worse, really has the ability to initiate an offense too. Like, how would you see that sort of four-headed monster unfolding with the Knicks? You know, if, if you were going to fire up the crystal ball and take a look inside. Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. Uh, I would say there, um, 
two major things you have to think about when answering the question um, is the coaching change and then what changes with respect to like uh, the context on the court. So like Tibbs, um, you know, he really likes to ride a guy, <laughs> you know, like if you think of like, I mean, everyone always references the Derrick Rose offenses, um, you know, but like, what was the hallmark of those offenses? It's like, okay, you sort of have everybody else spread the floor. Um, and then you do everything you can to have Derrick Rose make, you know, make the play. Um, you set pick and rolls for him, you know, you do whatever you, if he passes the ball, it's to come back and get the ball again and run a different screening action. And ultimately he's the guy who's like making something happen. Um, but those bulls teams were probably outside of, you know, probably a, a weaker offense, uh, often at least offensive talents, um, maybe than what the Knicks would have, uh, I think with, Brunson, I mean, I, I don't know how highly I think of Randall as an offensive talent right now, um, but Brunson, RJ, IQ, like there's oh, even OB, there's offensive skill there. Um, I think more so than Tibbs would have had um, in uh, in the Chicago years, um, but not the level and in the same sort of positions that he had in, you know, uh, you know, like it's it's still it's also different than it was in Minnesota because like running an offense that's trying to maximize Carl Anthony Towns is a little bit different. So what he's going to do, it's hard to say for me, but I think there's a realistic chance that you're going to have Donovan in a much more simplified offense. Um, Tibbs is not the sort of creative offensive coach that um, Quinn Snyder is. Right? Um, they run. He runs way more simplified sets. Does a lot less off-ball movement. Um, and off-ball actions. Um, and so I think that'll be true. And I think then contextually on the court, he's going to have worse spacing most likely. Um, you think of that jazz team, like just the best shooting team uh, basically in the NBA uh, and just every, almost everybody on the line on the, or on the court, except for Rudy could just shoot from anywhere. Right. Um, and then another major difference besides worse spacing is worse screening. Um Rudy Gobert, for as many, many faults, is an awesome screener, right? As many, many offensive faults, I should say, um, is an incre you know, incredible screener. And he creates a lot of space for guys. Um, and even when you go to the second unit, um, I don't know why my mind is blanking. Uh, not, I mean, white side now, but who Clarkson. is- Clarkson. Oh, oh, their second center? Um, yeah. Azabuke, uh, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, but before that, um, uh, he's a great drop center. He played for years in the league. Uh, Derek Favors. Oh, Derek Favors. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is just like a litany of great screen setters that he's had and huge bodies who are not afraid to make contact with it. So that's going to be a big difference on the court. Um, now I like, I've watched him split the double with Kawhi and Paul George. So I'm, you know, like he can still make it done, but, or get it done um, as a scorer. But I think that that's a big difference that you'll likely get. Um, and I do, I do expect tips to ride him a little bit more than, um, and put the ball in his hands a little earlier and a little more often. I mean, that's just what Thibodeau's uh, overarching philosophy is like <laughs> to give your best players the ball as much as possible, right? Like, and just play play them as many minutes as possible, have them on the court as much as possible and do what it takes to, I think another, I guess another thing here on this note is that the offense will likely be slower um, because, because Tibbs likes to play his players so much, he often slows the offense down because you can't play high paces. So I doubt you'll have as much of this like early offense, you know, shooting threes in five seconds kind of thing the Jazz were doing this last year um, as well. Uh, 
anyway, so there's a few thoughts. Yeah, no, and I, but I think I think that last point is is really key because you, you look at just the raw numbers and the last two seasons he was in the 99th percentile and the hundredth percentile in usage, but it's a different like in terms of fatigue, it's a different kind of usage what he would have to do in New York than what he has to do in Utah. Where to your point, he's attacking those like those wide gaps created by all that shooting, and to me that's what makes him special, right? It's it's the ability I would say pretty much as as well as anyone on earth to exploit those gaps and to do so super decisively. And it's just like two dribbles. Then you're like, oh, crap, he's at the rim dunking on someone. And you run this team out there with Randall and RJ and Mitch. Like, that's just not going to happen as often. It's not going to happen as efficiently, which is a shame because last year, I mean, you you could see – to your point, Dallas, like he's, he's had that great context in Utah pretty much his whole career. But last year was like one of the first years, like he was truly like great at the rim or at least like relative to what he'd done before. Like his shooting was way up there. It was the first time since his rookie year. Um, I think it was his, his true shooting was over 50%. It went from like 49% to 53% last year. Like he, he got so much better at that. And like that nuclear athleticism he possessed coming into the league is very much still there. But you pair that with the ability to be um, one of the elite mid-range scorers in the NBA, one of the elite uh, pull up three point shooters in the NBA. And, and you look at that whole picture and you say, I, I think your point is valid that he could be the leading scorer on a title team. And that, and that makes the question of like, all right, but then who's the kind of guy that you'd have to pair with him? Like on a, on a really, really good team. Could it be like a Paul George level wing instead of a Luca level wing, just because you get that kind of scoring and potentially more creativity from, I don't know, maybe that's a question for down the road. Um, I also think I'm sure like you guys do that uh, having Obi Toppin as the power forward instead of Julius Randle, um, which, which sounds weird on paper because Julius statistically throughout his career, or at least as a Nick better three point shooter, but I, I I'm more so thinking of Obi's like quick decision-making and lack of ball dominance would, would make things so much easier for Mitchell. But Dallas, feel free to share any thoughts on that, but I also want to get your, um, uh, your thoughts on his defense, because I thought you had some really good notes where I think there's this general assumption with Mitchell. It's like, oh, if he just if he just tries harder, he can be an awesome defender. I know in, in your thread, you noted that you didn't think his foot speed was all that great. I've seen other people say, even though he's that wide wingspan, like his vertical reach isn't all that good. And I'm a big advocate of like effort being a skill to some extent and and one that guys don't suddenly develop from being in a better context. Sometimes they do. Like we, we've seen it happen before where a guy gets traded and a switch flips and they're a completely different player on that end of the floor. But I think that is less common than like a, a guy sort of being who he is. But w- what do you think of him as a defender? Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll actually tie it. I want to answer that question, but I'll start by tying in something that you had said. Yeah. Um, you were talking about him having the ball in his hands more um, uh, and uh, uh, being less of a play finisher likely in New York. So one thing that happens when you do that, I mean, if you just watch like watch two guys play basketball, watch Luca play basketball and then watch Donovan play basketball, you see radically different Sim- you're going to have similar usage, but the way they get it is radically different, right? Like Luca's going to come down with the ball in his hands. He's going to maybe have to beat a press or like one guy, you know, is kind of on him. And then he's going to attack. Nothing's going to happen. He's going to kick it out. He's going to come back out, get the ball again. He's going to run another pick and roll, maybe two, maybe three times. Every time down, he's doing this multiple times, right? Where Donovan usually will cu- run down the court, at least for the first half, maybe first three quarters, stand on the wing and just kind of wait. And sometimes he gets the ball and sometimes he doesn't. And when he does, then maybe he'll attack, you know, especially at the end of plays, whatever. But that's his role in the offense, especially early on, is as a play finisher. So there's a lot less energy expenditure going on than like somebody like Luca. So why does this matter? Well, 
you know, sometimes people when talking about his defense have suggested that his usage is an explanation for why you don't get as much effort, right? So they'll compare him to Trey or Luca or something like this. And they'll say, well, you know, when you're expending that much energy on offense, like it sort of makes sense that you don't have much to give on defense. But I actually think like when you watch Donovan Mitchell play, he's expending way less energy than a lot of these top guys, right? Because of his role in the offense, because he's not that primary initiator um, for most of the game, not till sort of towards the end. Um, so that excuse sort of falls away for me a little bit. And yeah, then when you start looking at it, um, uh, when he does exert effort, he's pretty good. He still has uh, limitations. And I think the things you noted are the right ones. Um, uh, surprising to me, his, as athletic as he is, it seems like his lateral movement on defense is not very good. Um, I've seen all manners of ball handlers beat him off the dribble when watching film, um, which is, it's kind of, you know, you'd think like, you'd think like, okay, a guy, he's guarding Paul George, right? Or something like that. You're like, okay, Paul George is probably going to back him down in the post because he's got what? seven inches on him or something like that and a ton of weight but that's not what paul george does he does like a simple crossover and he, he beats him off the dribble and he's to the second level kind of thing and this is this is what you see sort of happen frequently um uh but then so so his lateral lateral uh movement's not so good he's gonna get beat off the dribble all the time even when he's trying even when he's trying um but when he's trying what you will get is um he's strong as hell uh, so you will see guys like Kawhi or Paul George try to back him down. I I've watched, I watched a lot of that, uh, <laughs> like six of five of the, five of the six games, I think of yeah. that, ser- that series. Cause it's such a fascinating series. I think, um, he can hold up against a guy like Paul George or again in the post, you know, and like not really let him push him down into the, into the, into the paint. Um, he will in that series, he was diving for balls and like making hustle plays that were pretty impressive. He had some plays where he just sort of gave up as well. Um, uh, but as the years have gone on, he's given a shit way less. Like it really looks like I did a lot of scouting on Julius Randall before he came to the Knicks and I was really down on the signing. And the reason why was, um, my favorite thing to do when scouting guys, the first thing I want to do is I want to watch quarters one through three, because guys who care in those quarters, you never are going to have to worry about them caring in crunch time, right? Like if you see somebody diving on the floor, uh, with 10 minutes to go in the first quarter, right? Like for, for a ball and like scrambling and like pumping his guys up and fighting, fighting for every rebound. Like that guy, like who, who are those? It's gonna be like Marcus Smarts and Pat. But like if you see guys like doing that, right? There's no way they're not doing that in the fourth quarter in the big games, right? That they're definitely gonna do it. But guys who don't give a shit then in the first quarter, you know, uh, <laughs> that's, those are the guys that you start to worry about later in the fourth. And so, um, I don't know. It's gotten real. It's gotten pretty bad with Donovan Mitchell. And if you look at his last um, three years, as good as he's been offensively, the team has actually been worse with him on the court than off the court, primarily because their defensive rating with him on the court has been so bad. And that's not strictly him, right? Defensive rating is a team, uh, a team thing. But you look at all of the lineups with the re- like you put all the lineups in basically any configuration without him. And they tend to be a pretty solid defense. Um, uh, uh, it's just when he's on the court, they, they get really bad and like atrociously bad. Um, and uh, uh, I don't know. There's like, we we all in New York right now have these questions about Julius Randle. Like he similarly has some tantalizing defensive talents, right? Um, as a switch defender, 
right? Uh, as a big switch defender, he has skills that very few bigs have. And yet we're all really out on him mainly because of the effort. And very few of us want to bet on him like next year or the year after as a result of that. And I'm really concerned about betting on another guy that is showing similar signs. And in some cases, you'll have a guy who plays bad defense and you go, oh, well, you know, maybe in a new contest, it would be better. Um, I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt to those sorts of uh, uh, arguments in cases when a guy is playing on a bad team for nothing. Right. Yeah. So like you have early Devin Booker. This is a guy people talk about a lot. It's like you're not taking Dragon Bender to the finals. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't care if you're prime Michael Jordan. You're probably not taking, you know, him and oh, what is it? Murray, Marquise Murray. Chris. Marquise Chris. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like those I, guys. I would, dude, I was I was in Phoenix. Yeah. I know all those guys. Yeah. Josh Jackson. Uh, uh, I, 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 I can going. keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. I lost my head. Good. Um. But the, yeah, the, Devin Booker isn't taking those guys to the finals, right? So those teams were so bad that it's like, all right, so you don't care on those. And what what happened when the team got really good? You saw, you know, Devin Booker's defense improved and his effort on that end really improved, and especially in bigger games. Um, but we've just seen, you know, Donovan Mitchell have <laughs> really epic effort lapses in major, you know, uh, playing for the number one seed last year. Um, playing on a playoff team this year uh, with in a relatively weak conference with, you might think like a possibility to actually go deep um, and just really not trying, not caring. That concerns me. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that I, how willing I am to make that gamble, but anyways, I'll, I'll ask you what you guys think about it. Cause I'm curious about your thoughts. All right, that's it for this first part of this episode. We hope you guys enjoyed this, but we will be back with another part, maybe even two. If you if you play your cards right, maybe we'll come back with two parts. And in the next part, we're going to be talking about Jalen Brunson, also about potential fit with Donovan Mitchell. You know, we are trying to look forward towards what seems like, I don't know if it's quite an inevitability, but a likelihood at this point that Mitchell ends up a Nick at some point this offseason. So we'll talk about that talk about Brunson and what he could bring, talk about if those two are actually a little too redundant. Dallas thinks so. I kind of feel a little differently and and explain why. And a bunch of other great discussions. I mean, we kind of just bounced around and talked about a ton of stuff. It's what always happens when we get on the horn with Dallas. So we'll be back next episode to do all that. But for today, thank you all for listening. We will be back in your feed soon with more with Dallas and with others. We got some other nice things planned for you guys coming up in the future. But until next time, thanks for listening. Peace out. Talk to you all soon.